0: to today's Good Morning CHD Friday Roundtable segment. Thank you for joining today. It's Friday, June 30th, 2023, and I will be your host for today, Amy Valela McBride. So thank you for joining us. We're gonna have a great show coming up. Uh, first, wanted to share some of our top news and headlines as we've been doing now in our morning show, bringing you the latest news from our Defender. This was just published a bombshell study of the Pfizer COVID vaccine suggests that some people got highly dangerous shots while others got placebo. So how many of us suspected this? Now we see it to be true. Uh, In the article, it further shares that Danish scientists uncovered compelling evidence that a significant percentage of the batches BioNTech COVID 19 vaccine distributed in the EU likely consisted of placebos, and the non placebo batches demonstrated higher than normal severe adverse events in the recipients, prompting the researchers to call for further investigation. So this is a fantastic article just published yesterday in The Defender. If you haven't read it yet, I highly suggest you do. Uh, the news originally broke by Kim Iverson. And this was actually a study that was published back in March but didn't get a ton of media attention, but clearly is now as they are um, looking to investigate into this further. Um, and according to Iverson, when she reported on it, she said, she suggested that many of these batches from the Pfizer vaccine administered to the public, up to as much as 30% may have been placebos, but even worse, the evidence from this research points to regulators knowing about it and willingly administrating them. So this was something that so many of us suspected as we saw, you know, so many adverse events happen to some people while others, you know, say they got the shot and were absolutely fine, left many of us wondering could they had in fact be getting placebos. So, Great article in Defender. If you haven't read it, please catch up on that one. Um, another article we just put out in Defender about lawmakers investigating the teachers' union interference with the CDC's pandemic school opening schedule and demand Walensky turn over her phone records. So, this came out of the House Select Subcommittee uh, on Corona Coronavirus Pandemic, and they met on Wednesday and they gave the outgoing uh, CDC. Prevention director Rochelle Walinsky until July twelfth to turn over her phone records involving the American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten. So we had this live on CHD TV. We've been sharing almost every uh, you know, select subcommittee hearing that's happening. This was, you know, definitely a pressure cooker for Walinsky, but of course she's just saying they had to do what was best, you know, in order to protect the kids. Of course, there's no, you know, admittance or account doing here. Um, But we're looking to get those phone records and glad to see the congressional pressure was being put upon uh, Rochelle Walensky for her to turn over those records because we know that the government was, in fact, influencing the decisions on school closures, which were not founded in science, and we know for a fact were more harmful for children than anything else, keeping them out of school, stopping their social, emotional, cognitive uh, development, as well as their ability to learn. Um, So that's another great article just published in Defender. If you haven't read it, catch up on that one. Also, big news coming out of California yesterday. So we have to celebrate these wins when we get them. This is a huge win for California and a huge win for the entire medical freedom uh, movement. As you know, the bill AB659 originally was looking to mandate the Gardasil uh, vaccine for sixth graders and up. The Warriors in California, the Perk Group, the Freedom Angels, Josh Coleman, every single concerned parent and warrior who's been active in California have been fighting this. And they were able uh, quite a while ago to roll that back. So the mandate was then shifted only to college students, but the legislation was amended to have a letter pushed out that was going to use the word expected. And so that was a very deceitful letter that was gonna be mandatory going out to all parents, which would falsely uh, make parents believe that the Gardasil shot was still required or mandated for their children, just based on that language. So big win was announced on that just the other day that the bill was now amended to not only remove that mandate for school children and college, but that the deceiving and misleading letter as well was going to be amended. So instead of the word expected, it's now going to be uh, said as recommended. Um, So this is a big, big win for California and for everybody who's been so active. So kudos to all the warriors out there who are working on that. Monday's show with Polly, you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have on the amazing Josh Coleman, who gave a wonderful testimony on it, pushing back on that bill. Um, And you're going to hear a whole lot more about the success on fighting AB 659. And this is what it's all about. You know, never underestimate the voice of dedicated activists who can really push back and make a difference. And so thank you for everyone who took part in our Action Alert, that's what we're showing right now. Um, we had pushed out a large scale campaign showing the harms and risks of Gardasil shot, showing those have been injured or sadly even killed from the Gardasil shot, and we had hundreds of thousands of people taking action on our website with that action alert and pushing back on the California legislators. So congrats to all the California warriors. Thank you so much for your dedication on this. Congrats to Perk, the Freedom Angels, Josh, everyone who's been involved and come uh, watch the Monday show with Polly and Josh Coleman to learn more about it. So that's our news for today, and we're going to be jumping into today's topic. Um, So today we are proud to bring on a number of military members, including uh, the author of an upcoming book with our CHD imprint series. So we have Rob Green coming on, who is the author of Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines, which is an explosive tell-all book that really brings forth the story of what happened to our military members who were betrayed by their own command, pushed and forced unlawfully and mandated to take uh, the COVID-19 vaccine shot. So I'm thrilled and honored to bring on uh, not only Rob Green, but as well, uh, former Army Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel Brad Miller and also retired Marine Corps Lieutenant uh, Colonel Tommy Waller. So, so uh, thankful to have these men on, these brave men courageous men who've taken so much action against uh, these unlawful orders. So welcome, uh, Brad, Rob, and Tommy. And of course, we have our wonderful Meryl Nass, Dr. Meryl Nass, with us today as well. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. So welcome, uh, Brad, Rob, and Tommy. And of course, we have our wonderful Meryl Nass, Dr. Meryl Nass, with us today as well. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So as we know, the, Secret- the secretary of defense had issued an order uh, requiring that all military personnel had to be vaccinated against COVID-19. And so this was direct orders that you as military members and many of your peers, um, you know, sadly, were given. And as military personnel, you know, you generally don't get to choose what you can or can't do. You're, you're really just expected, you know, to follow orders and to follow the chain of command. Yet, you know, when we look back in history, some of the very worst war crimes were committed by people who just followed the orders. So, Rob, you have written this amazing book that is coming out on July fourth, available at all retailers. That really shares this story, which is really a story of hope, a story of courage, a story of bravery, um, and shares, you know, exactly, you know, what happened. So. You know, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, this book and, and why you wrote it. And also, you know, what what this experience was like in trying to refuse these orders that you knew were unlawful. Rob, if I could start with you.
1: Yes, thank you very much for having me. And it's an honor to be with you uh, and with this incredible panel. Uh, a lot of courage here in the room. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm humbled to be uh, with all of you. Um, so the reason I wrote the book is because the story is tragic. Um, individual service members forced to do things that were against their conscience and against their better judgment. And they were not given an option. We were not given an option uh, to even question uh, the legality of of the order or the constitutional rights of individual service members. So the book uh, is meant to shine a light on the complete politicization of the military and how they went for uh, upholding a narrative a political narrative rather than listening to the service members who were bringing to their attention significant
0: evidence of unlawfulness and Tommy would you like to share some perspective you know I'd love to hear you know from your perspective you know how, how are you able to navigate this and when do you feel that it was you know appropriate to push back on what you knew deep in your heart was just wrong and you know immoral sure
2: Well, I'll just rewind the clock a little bit, right? So it's Independence Day uh, weekend coming up. And it was two years ago, at that very same time, uh, where I started my most significant research on this issue of the vaccine. I was in command uh, of the Marine Corps Reserve's only uh, independent force reconnaissance company. uh, And it was my responsibility as a commander to really look at uh, this you know vaccine that was being pushed it hadn't yet been uh the order had had not yet been given but we were of course being told hey it's coming you you may as well just go ahead and get vaccinated now and i thought to myself you know i need to do the due diligence to look into this and see you know whether or not this makes sense both from a a, a medical perspective and also of course a legal perspective but i started with the medical side and i'm not a doctor right but I had, a, I had a healthy distrust of the pharmaceutical industry and I have to credit my wife for that. Uh, she watched the documentary, Vaxxed, years ago, did tons of research and, and, uh, and started to educate me about the regulatory capture of that industry. I also served at the time, at, again, as a reservist, and so my civilian job at the Center for Security Policy, I, I was focused on another industry that has regulatory capture, which is the electric power industry. So I kind of had this healthy curiosity, but I told myself, don't allow that to come through in my research. And I only used pro-vaccine doctors, virologists, et cetera, as I did that research. I spent 22 hours over that weekend when you know most people were off having fun, and I put together what I thought was a pretty compelling package of information to at least raise the alarm bells about the, about the risks associated with this really untested vaccine. And I provided that to my chain of command uh, through particularly through the medical side and I got no response almost no response the only response I got echoes exactly what Commander Green just said. And that was I got a phone call from the, the officer directly above me in my chain of command and he said Tommy I need to warn you. That this is political. And because it's political you better be very very careful because you will be crushed like an ant. And that was the warning that I got. And so uh, Commander Green is absolutely right. This was political. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with the readiness of the force when it comes to health. If it did, then of course uh, the, the mandate would have stopped as soon as we figured out that the vaccines didn't work. And as soon as we started to see the catastrophic health effects that it caused. So uh, I'm, I'm just really, I feel blessed that Rob has had the courage to, to write this book because it exposes the terrible things uh, that our military leaders have done to
0: the force. Wow, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Crushed like an ant. I mean as as suspected we knew this was so political and not you know uh, founded in science you know morality in any way. Um, you know, This is a difficult thing I would imagine for so many military members to go through because here you are putting your lives on the line every single day in order to defend our country and our freedoms at the same time while it's being robbed from you from those, you know, of your of your higher-ups in command. That has to be a a very awful situation we put in. Um, Brad, I would love to hear from you a little bit in terms of what your experience was like in dealing with this as well.
3: Yeah, thanks so much. Good morning. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on. And. And, um, I feel honored to be with this prestigious panel and just standing shoulder to shoulder with all of you in this fight. So just a little bit about me very, very quickly. Uh, again, I'm Brad Miller. I'm a former Lieutenant Colonel in the United States army. Um, I was a battalion commander in the 101st airborne division when the mandate was implemented to get the, uh, the COVID-19 vaccination. Um, as a commander, I felt uncomfortable, a taking the, the shot myself, but also B ordering others to do it. So, long story short, um, I refused the vaccination. I was relieved of command. I was one of only two active duty battalion commanders across the entire army to uh, get relieved of command. And then a couple of months later, once I realized that, um, once I realized that this was, in fact, completely unlawful and that there was no way that, that the army and then, uh, or DOD was going to walk this back, I decided that my only course of action was to resign. I just... At that point, I was, uh, I was, when I resigned, I was at a little bit more than, than 19 years of active service, so less than a year from retirement. But for me, I just felt like I, I can no longer be in this organization because um, this organization no longer follows the values that it purports to follow, the values that it purports to have imbued its service members with. So once I realized there was a, a misalignment between my own values and the uh, and the values of DoD, I decided that the only course of action that I personally could pursue. Other people have pursued other 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 options, and I respect that. But personally, I I decided to resign.
0: What a loss.
2: Pursued
3: other 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 options, and I respect that. But personally, I I decided to resign.
0: What a loss for, for our country, uh, you know, and for the military. Uh, Merrill, did you want to add any comments?
4: Yeah, thanks. So um, so Brad is very selfless because in the military you get a a very very valuable pension once you have put in 20 years and so virtually everyone when they're at 18 19 17 years they're going to stay in they're going to suck it up they'll do whatever it takes to get to the 20 years and collect their pension which i believe is still half of their salary basically for the rest of their life So he retired at 19 years, lost this benefit, which was probably worth more than a million dollars to him uh, because he could not tolerate what the military was doing. The military did exactly the same thing with the anthrax vaccine 25 years ago. Um, They knew it had not been uh, properly licensed. They knew the procedures they were using were not proper. They knew it had not been tested and shown that would actually prevent anthrax in a military situation. But for, uh, we can call them political reasons, we could call it corruption. You know, you, there's a lot of names for what's going on. But people in power decided that people under them didn't mean anything. And if they were going, and it didn't matter that they were going to order them to do something that was not going to help them and could very well disable them or kill them, and it didn't matter, they were gonna order it anyway. And and we can postulate what all the reasons were for that, but it happened with the anthrax vaccine, it ha- it's happened with the COVID vaccine, and it still could happen with other vaccines. Um, I'd like to go back a little bit. Now, I believe that in December of 2020, the military, the government, pfizer the other manufacturers knew that the vaccine was not going to prevent spread because it was admitted in an fda advisory meeting on the 10th of december 2020 that experiments had been done in monkeys and it did not prevent spread in monkeys and that no human experiments had therefore been done but by august 1st of 2021 boris johnson the prime minister of the uk and Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, both admitted that the vaccine did not prevent spread. Preventing spread is the only justification there is for ordering someone to have the vaccine. You can only ethically, morally, scientifically demand someone be vaccinated if it's going to stop them from giving the disease to someone else. If it doesn't stop the spread, there's no justification. require it you're saying well maybe this shot will help you it's not going to help anyone else and i demand you have it well what if the person says look i'm happy to get the disease i'd rather have the disease than the shot i'd rather take my chances you see that that should be ethically and morally and scientifically the decision of the person who is being asked to submit to a vaccine Um, so anyway everybody knew it did not stopped the spread. Furthermore, in July of 2021, the top officials at the FDA, and by top, I mean the um, acting commissioner, that was uh, Janet Woodcock, the, the head of the vaccine center at CDC, which was Peter Marks, and the head of the OVRR, Office of Vaccine Research and Review, Marion Gruber, And her deputy were all together in a meeting discussing how this could be mandated or not. And the fact that the federal government was telling the FDA they needed to issue a license because they did not believe the vaccine could be mandated under EUA by law. And so they were demanding that FDA issue a license very quickly. And Marion Gruber was fighting back saying no, We can't get it done when you want. And furthermore, she put in an email to her super, to her superiors that they believed that there could be no mandate without a license. What happened? Marion Gruber and her deputy were forced to resign or were fired at the end of August. And on August 23rd, FDA issued a license for the Pfizer COVID vaccine. And almost immediately after the military mandated it for all service members, reservists as well as active duty, and each service did it slightly differently. So if, if you go back to this timeline, FDA knew that they couldn't mandate without a license. They knew they could not properly license it by August. The people standing in the way were fired, probably, or resigned. The FDA issued the license improperly and then the military mandated and everyone knew it was not going to prevent spread. So that's what these fellows were dealing with. They knew they were dealing with a com- completely corrupt military. Again, same thing had happened with anthrax. The anthrax vaccine did not prevent spread. There is no spread from person to person of anthrax. It was mandated anyway because they could. And a lot of people were disabled, and same thing with the COVID vaccine, a lot of people were disabled, as well as the religious reasons people did not want to take a vaccine that had been made using fetal tissues. Um, There are many reasons not to take it. The first one being, we should have bodily autonomy. We should control what goes into our bodies, not the military. It's a job. They don't own your body. They would like to. So
0: um, thanks for letting me add my bit. Thanks so much, Dr. Nass. Yeah, I mean, where is the informed consent in any of this? And thank you for reflecting back on the debacle with uh, anthrax, because the military also uh, and the media started to blame some of the adverse events on the Gulf War illness, right? We, We heard all about that at that same time, of these unexplained symptoms and what that was all about. You would think that our military leaders would have learned from this debacle in terms of what happened back then, but clearly they didn't, and it was the same playbook moving forward yet again uh, when COVID-19 rolled out, um, as you just explained. So, um, you know, at the time that the military was uh, being mandated this, they actually couldn't get this uh, as a licensed vaccine. It was the emergency use vaccine only. And that was part of this whole bait and switch, you know, with the Comirnaty uh, brand and what we were told was being rolled out versus what was actually available. So.
4: Right, so let, let me um, get into that too, if you don't mind. So what happened was the military knew they needed to license it to legally mandate it but if they legally licensed it and they gave soldiers a licensed product it would have liability attached which means you could sue the manufacturer if they didn't manufacture it properly if you if they or if they knew that there were injuries to people and they were concealing them So what the military did was a bait and switch. They advertised that the vaccine had been fully licensed by the FDA, which we know was done under very odd circumstances to begin with. And then they didn't offer the licensed product. They gave the emergency use authorized product because there was no liability. So that also was illegal. That was the bait and switch. There was a third illegal thing that the military did was they ignored a law 1107 which had been put into place after the gulf war and what that law said was that because the military had injured so many troops from gulf war syndrome from the anthrax vaccine and other often experimental vaccines that were used then it said that the military cannot force experimental medical products, vaccines or or drugs, on soldiers, unless the President of the United States puts an order in writing that it's necessary for them to do so. So that law has been in place since the 1990s, the military knew that law existed, they absolutely ignored it, pretended it did not exist and uh, gave people this emergency use authorized, non-licensed product without the written instruction of the President of the United States. So um, let's have our service members, former service members, tell us what they did after
0: this. Yeah, Rob, would you want to share? I'd love to hear, you know, how did each branch of the military handle this and what were you able to do to try to combat this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And and Meryl, I really appreciate the background there. Uh, it's very helpful, especially for the audience to understand. And uh, those those are crimes, and they're tragic. Uh, unfortunately, the services doubled down on that. They continued to harm service members uh, in order to push this political program. Um, we, we had service members uh, struggling uh, with mental health during this time. They were locked down. They were isolated. They were abused, uh, verbally berated. Uh, Service members were separated from their families uh, for extended periods of time, um, all in an effort to coerce them to go along. Um, We also had uh, each of the services denying religious accommodations unlawfully. Uh, They were not doing what military policy required them to do in order to adjudicate those religious accommodations. Um, All all of it, uh, frankly, um, is, is tragic to the point where I am still on active duty right now uh, that's why I, I don't have the magnificent beard that uh, my, my peers have. But I, I am still on active duty, and this is uh, it's so important to get the word out to make sure this can never happen again. And I am willing to risk uh, everything, uh, my livelihood, and my life to make sure that we are doing this right, and we are going to, to name the names of those who violated the law, uh, our senior military members, in uniform. And, uh, and I do that in the book, and I'll, I'm willing to do that publicly here to make sure that uh, this can never happen again.
0: Rob, what kind of um, you know reaction are you getting so far with the book that you've written? I mean, I know it's not out until July 4th, you can order it now though, um, but what is your peers and higher ups you know, saying about your book so far?
1: Well, I, uh, most of them have not read it, uh, but I, I did go to, uh, to my superiors in chain of commands. They've had several meetings about it. They know it's coming. And uh, and right now, I I think they're waiting to see if uh, the American people are going to take notice. So it's very important uh, for us to get the word out and for folks to read this. Uh, I I name the names of those who violated the law, especially at the three and four star level. And so, um, you know, if anything comes back on me, that's that's okay. I'm going to stand upon my First Amendment rights and make sure that uh, that we get this out there. Um, but that's, uh, it's that important. So to, to all your audience, please help spread the word. Um, we need to make sure that, that you know, our senior leaders, who by the way, um, they care very little about those in their charge. They care about how things are perceived publicly. That's, they are most scared of public scrutiny. They aren't scared of service members getting hurt or injured. They aren't scared of violating their own oaths or you know, common sense and good ethics. They are only scared of public scrutiny So let's shine the light on
0: it. Thank you for your bravery and courage in doing that and putting it all out in this book. Um, We're getting lots of comments in the chat, people thanking all of you for your bravery and courage. Uh, Comment here. We're
3: finna get into it. We're finna get into it. (laughs) Let's
1: shine the light on it.
0: Thank you for your bravery and courage in doing that and putting it all out in this book. Um, we're getting lots of comments in the chat, people thanking all of you for your bravery and courage. A uh, comment here from Jacqueline P. saying, God bless our military. I have nephews that are still in the Navy, and I cannot wait to read this book. So uh, we ask all of our viewers you know, to uh, spread the word about this amazing book, and you can order it now. It's coming out July 4th. Um, Tommy, I'd like to hear from you. How, how is this treated in in the Marines? You know, Were, were each of the branches... Similar in how they training it, a little different, and uh, what how did this impact you while you were still in, uh, in service?
2: Yeah, I'd like to. I'd actually like to get back. Remind me at some point. Get back to the comment from our viewer about God bless the military because this is a spiritual battle, uh, and there's something I want to say about that. But to answer your question first about the Marines, the Marines were the most enthusiastic that I could tell about making sure that the penalty for not taking the vaccine or not violating US law by enforcing it as an, as an officer, that that penalty would be as severe as possible. Let me explain for just a second what I mean by that. When a Marine is separated from the service, there has to be an administrative process and there's a code that's associated with their separation, whatever the justification is for their separation. And when you look at the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ, And you look at this scenario that they put us in with the vaccines and those of us that were refusing them for whatever reason, ethical, philosophical, religious, medical, whatever the reason may be. The UCMJ has a couple of codes that would be the right codes to use. One would be refusing inoculation. You could separate someone from the service for that. The other one would be refusing medical treatment. Okay. The Marine Corps didn't choose those two codes. What the Marine Corps chose was Commission of a serious offense. That was the code that they assigned to the separation for service members who refused a vaccine. Commission of a serious offense. This is on par with misconduct like rape and theft, sexual assault. And so what does that tell you about the United States Marine Corps leadership right now? You know, my own religious accommodation that I submitted, I, I thought, you know, as the commander as the, the eyes and the recon community, is the eyes and ears of, of the Marine Corps. And I thought as the commander of the reconnaissance community that if, if I made sure my own religious accommodation request was so professional and detailed that maybe it would make some difference for the rest of the Marines under my charge. What did the Corps do? They denied in mass those things. On what day? November 10th, 2021, the Marine Corps birthday. So the United States Marine Corps leadership right now at this very moment is complicit in crimes, the crimes that are pointed out in Rob's book. Again, this book is a must read for anyone in this country who cares about saving the Republic. And they know what they were doing and they did it willfully. And, and again, I can come back to what I really want to talk about in a moment with respect to that comment about God bless the military, uh, because at the end of the day, it's a spiritual battle. But let me let me turn it over to our other guests.
0: I couldn't agree with you more about that, Tommy. Well, definitely, I'll I'll come back to you with closing thoughts and we can uh, end the show in that type of discussion because I couldn't agree more. Uh, Brad, I'd like to hear from you in terms of, you know, what was this like for you while you were still in the Army and what coercion measures were they trying to take?
3: Yeah, thank you. So first, let me say that uh, I'm going to echo what what Tommy just said about how um rob's book is just tremendous so I, I count myself fortunate enough to have received an advanced copy so that i could go through it and read it and um i i mean we're not exaggerating when we say that this book is really going to cause you know more cracks in the narrative i mean the narrative is already basically collapsing but just kind of with within the military all of these cowardly so-called leaders that um that thought they were doing the right thing by just passing down unlawful orders. A lot of them are, some of them are going to see their names in the book written in black and white, but others are going to realize that the exact types of activities that, uh, that Rob Green heavily and rightly critiques in his book, they participated in. So we got a lot of leaders. And in the military, the most important type of leader is a commander. So a commander who is in charge of his troops. You know, he owns the mission for the troops, you know, uh, the equipment. He has... Um, he exercises authority with the uh, uniform code of military justice over his troops. And, and I believe in all of that. All of that is correct. But what we have throughout the military are a bunch of cowardly commanders who are too in love with their jobs, too in love with that title of commander, too in love with that plaque above the door to of their office that says commander, and they don't understand how to command at all. They, they, they do not understand the, uh, the troops, the service members, America's sons and daughters that have been entrusted to their charge. And they have violated the oath. They desecrate the very uniform that they wear. Now, I understand I'm speaking very strongly. I'm speaking very strongly because I care a lot about this. You know, as does Rob, as does Tommy, as do your viewers. You know, so so I really appreciate the uh, the couple of minutes that you've given for us to kind of explain just how significant this is. Because I think we have to ask ourselves, why the military? Why was the military targeted, not with a measure of readiness, but directly with a measure of anti-readiness, because many of us forecasted exactly what was going to happen. We knew that this was going to cause far more destruction to readiness than so-called COVID. I mean, we, we, we knew that. Many of us were very wary of this. And there were some doctors and scientists that were actually sounding the alarm, even within the military, before the mandate came out. And then once the mandate came out, what happened? We had huge issues with readiness because we had sickness. We had deaths that began to spike and above all so those are physical injuries but above all we had moral injury we have service members right now that left the military because they know they can't trust their leaders they can't trust their leaders to do the right thing they can't trust their leaders to follow the oath to the constitution and maintain their loyalty to the country now you asked specifically about the army and you asked specifically about coercion uh what type of coercion methods were used it was pretty crazy i mean we had. I'll tell you the uh, the installation that I served at. If you were unvaccinated, not only did you have to wear a mask, right, but you actually had to wear the mask outside. So when you were outside, I don't know, walking from your your building to your car, if you were unvaccinated, you were supposed to wear your mask. Now, wh- why would coercive methods like that be used? Many of us know that the the, the, math provide, or the, uh, the mask provided no benefit, but. Even if you believe that it did provide some benefit, why would you have to wear it outside walking alone? I mean, it just makes no sense. So it's just ridiculous tactics like that that were used specifically to make life unbearable for those who were unvaccinated. And did those coercive methods work? Yes, they did. There were plenty of people who held out and then life just became just intolerable for some of these individuals. They just, they couldn't stand being marginalized. They couldn't stand being ostracized by their peers they couldn't stand having um extra restrictions placed on them when they wanted to go on leave or take a pass or like i said wearing the mask or at least on my installation wearing the mask even outside um these added up and you did have individuals who eventually cracked they had held out until they didn't and they went and took the um and eventually you know took the shots
4: um let me say that Uh, back in the days of the anthrax vaccine mandate the same thing was going on and so what how soldiers so the best soldiers were the ones who refused because they were the ones who were paying attention they were learning about how the shot didn't work and how it could really badly injure you and so these are the people the military should have wanted to keep in. in but instead the military was selecting for yes men and the military has selected its commanders the top the generals, the colonels, as yes men. These are not the people who know how to win a war, which may be why the United States doesn't know how to win wars anymore. But um, in those days, they would deduct a month's pay from a soldier if they refused to be vaccinated. They would um, give them extra work to do. They would, uh, in some cases, hold them down and vaccinate them they would lie to them. So when we went to court and we had a judge um, take away the license so that it couldn't be mandated and it became voluntary, the the military wouldn't tell the soldiers that and kept trying to make them think it was mandatory and that they had to be vaccinated anyway. And then we had to go back to court and say, look, The military is not follow judge you know they're not following your order and they're pretending it's still mandatory and the judge then ruled that there had to be a copy posted of his order in every vaccine clinic in the entire military so that every soldier could read it on the wall that they were not required to take this vaccination um there were there were all sorts of crazy punishments I believe that the anthrax vaccine program 25 years ago was basically the dress rehearsal for covid and the military tried to see what were the most effective ways to force soldiers to do something they didn't want to do and the best ways to identify who was going to fight back and get rid of them. Um, So I think that's what we've had happen again, and I want to say that these. um, Military service members, retired or active have not even told the audience how horrible it was. People were restricted to their base, couldn't see their families for months at a time. Um, they, the military tried to make their peers, the people in their company, the people in their unit, treat them badly. There, there was um, a lot of emotional, deliberate emotional um, abuse heaped on people who refused the vaccines in the military. And so I appreciate that, that you haven't gone into the details of this, but the audience needs to know that the pressure was absolutely enormous.
0: Rob, do you want to share any more in, ter- in terms of that and what, how you've covered it in the book?
1: Absolutely. You know, And Brad spoke a little bit towards uh, t- to moral injury Um, But we saw that that moral injury, those harms being inflicted, the isolation and the abuse, um, become physical. And uh, so just comparing, for example, the the difference between the deaths due to uh, the COVID virus uh, or allegedly due to the COVID virus for military members, compare those numbers to suicides, completed suicides, is shocking. And I speak to this in the book. Um, We had uh, 96 deaths due to the virus, allegedly, uh, in the course of three years. In that same three-year period, we had 1,460 completed suicides during that same period of time. Our, our senior leaders were focused on the wrong pandemic. We have a mental health pandemic uh, that they exacerbated. Um, we even had a whistleblower approach, you know, and I'll start name-dropping. We had a whistleblower approach, approach the chief of naval personnel at the time, uh, Vice Admiral John Knoll and show him this difference between the the suicides and the deaths. And at the time, I think there was only 20 or 30 deaths uh, allegedly due to the virus and the suicides were skyrocketing. And he basically angrily told uh, this whistleblower that you're not taking COVID seriously. Well, I'm, I'm telling all of our senior military leaders, you were only taking a political agenda seriously and you were not taking the mental health of those in your charge seriously we need to fix that
0: horrific that they did that and just continued to lie like that to all the military members um, and thank you for naming all the names in your book I know you definitely lay it all out I mean it is an explosive tell-all you name the name so anyone reading it will see who's been behind this who's responsible for this who should be held accountable for this and who is um, really putting our nation at risk as you guys talked about National security threat or readiness. I mean, to impair so many military members to push them out, force them out, our most critical thinkers. The same thing happened in the healthcare industry. Any you know licensed medical professional who was mandated and then you know pushed back there been pushed out of the system too. So we're left with you know, kind of, uh, you know, a bunch of yes men and women, people who aren't able to think critically. These are not the people we want in charge of our wars, in charge of our safety, in charge of our nation, or certainly not in charge of our health care. And it's sad that this was the repercussion. Um, Another amazing thing you do in the book, Rob, I think, is how you lay out some of the historical, um, you know, analysis and some of the history behind, you know, uh, compulsory vaccination. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, Rob, in terms of both the coverage of Jacobson versus Massachusetts and also Buck v. Bell. Yeah, so as I was doing some research uh, on on how we got
1: where we got, um, I found a, uh, an incredible article uh, by Dr. Josh Blackman um, and from January 2022. And so I referenced it multiple times in the book, uh, but it explains how Jacobson v. 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 Massachusetts was a very narrow ruling. Uh, it was essentially um, a uh, there was an outbreak of disease and the a town in Massachusetts uh, attempted to mandate a vaccination against that disease back in uh, early 1900s. So this ruling from 1905 basically upheld that mandate, um, but said that uh, the, the government can only, um, they can't force vaccinate, they can't force anybody to do anything, uh, but uh, with regards to their individual health, but they can um, have them pay a fine if they think it's compelling. Um, that's essentially the case. Well, Buck v. Bell, uh, 20, 25 years later, uh, blew open the meaning of Jacobson v. Massachusetts. And uh, the, the author of the opinion in that case, uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, essentially uh, allowed forced um, sterilization of unwilling women for the purposes of um of you know, eugenics essentially um trying to uh get rid of undesirable populations in his opinion and so um you know he only cited jacobson v massachusetts completely changing the meaning of that original vaccination case and so at this point when folks are mandating products they're standing upon the shoulders of a absolutely horrific and tragic uh Um, precedent set by Buckley Bell to do so, that still has not been overturned, uh, that the government can force sterilize someone that they think is undesirable.
0: Meryl, would you like to share any additional perspective on both of those um, cases?
4: Yeah, so in the um, Jacobson decision, it was a smallpox vaccine, and there was a smallpox outbreak, and the um, minister... Uh, Jacobson and his son uh, didn't want to be vaccinated, and the court ruled that, yes, the mandate could go forward, but they would have to pay a $5 fine, which is about, I don't know, $150 today. So a relatively small fine to not be vaccinated. The court also said, basically, that the state could not take extreme measures to force that there might be a situation um, in which the the state was asking for something in an extreme way and that that was not proper. Um, So it was really not the kind, if you read the whole decision, it was not as construed today that it can be used to force any vaccine on anybody. You know, you you make a liquid, you call it a vaccine, and now you can inject it into anyone um, as long as the government says so. and the only reason these mandates are able to to happen is because the manufacturer and the government have made sure they have no liability for the injuries so if they were responsible if the the u.s government or Pfizer or anyone else had to pay for the people who are being damaged by vaccines there would be no mandates so the reason they can have these mandates is because under EUA nobody's responsible they basically you're on your own you can apply to get some money from the government if you're injured and so uh, about 8,000 people have applied in the United States and the government has paid out three or four of them uh, averaging about a thousand or several thousand dollars apiece less than five thousand dollars apiece for people who are extremely injured by myocarditis, for example, from the COVID vaccine, so that's so the likelihood of you collecting anything is almost zero, and if you do collect something, it's going to be very little, and that's why there can be COVID mandates. Um, of course, there, there were none of these compensation programs at the time of Jacobson, so um, which is why the penalty was so small, five dollars. Um, with Buck versus Bell the the whole country was in the thrall of eugenics so it was believed that um three i can't remember was it oliver wendell holmes some famous jurist said three generations of imbeciles is enough Uh, and um so people who were deemed to be less worthy should be sterilized and there were many many people i mean tens of thousands of people sterilized. I think 60,000 people in California alone were sterilized over a period of several decades. And the sterilizations in California continued up until about 2,000 of women in prisons. It's extraordinary. This has been going on for a long time. And um, there really isn't any moral or legal justification for it. It's, um, It's a punitive measure that uh states have gotten away with because the there is law there that allows them to do it so um when you have laws that allow the state to decide who should and should not procreate we're in trouble and some of those laws still exist and we need to get them off the books because we've already seen what the government can do during COVID, and there looking to accomplish a lot more interference with our lives. And I think the issue of procreation is right, you know, on the front burner because we know these vaccines interfere with your ability to um, become pregnant, interfere with your menstrual cycle, interfere um, with uh, the production of viable sperm, etc. There are published papers showing this and um, people need to realize it and we have to fight we have to get rid of bad laws we have to realize the government is not working for the people at least in the at a minimum in the area of public health and health care
0: right and they shouldn't be taking away our god-given inalienable rights and the ability to live freely um i mean this is what our founding fathers put in place for us but yet you know man seems to think they know better um i'd like to go back to our military members and from you you know what can our viewers be doing right now to support service members and military members in this fight that is still ongoing um rob i'll start with you
1: yeah well continue to stand faithfully for the truth Um, and it's important to understand the constitution uh, in in this regard too the constitution does two main things Um, it establishes the form of our government but then it restricts that government for the purpose of enshrining individual liberty so you know we take an oath To defend the constitution against enemies foreign and domestic and uh we're well trained to defend against the foreign threat Uh, and i did not understand what the domestic threat was until very recently as part of this fight the domestic threat is the threat that tramples your individual liberty that tramples your basic human rights and your constitutional rights that is the new domestic threat that we we have to stand up to um so I I would offer that to to your viewers. Make sure that you understand we can be perfect in defending against a foreign adversary. The military could be perfect, and we could still lose our nation.
0: Tommy, would you like to share next? How can we support military and service members right now?
2: The biggest thing you can do is pray for them. Pray that they have the courage to, to be like Rob Green. Pray that there's a change of heart uh, in the senior leadership right uh, because right now there are hardened hearts at the moment that will not at the moment allow the truth to be told. That's the single biggest thing that we can do for our military is to pray for them right now because this this is absolutely a spiritual battle. What Rob talked about with the Constitution is absolutely correct. I, I have a copy of the US Constitution that I keep with me all the time. It was given to me by the parents of a marine under my command who died. Uh, defending our country overseas and they said never forget what he died for and I never will and the one thing the most important thing about that constitution is that it established a form of government where it's all about consent we the people consent to be governed We, we give that consent this mandate was all about consent and I and I think when you go to and you look at From the very top the people who pulled the strings to design this they wanted to do a couple of things first think about the difference between the anthrax and today this time they said hey there's going to be a process a religious accommodation process tell us your strongly held religious beliefs and that was data harvesting and then the second part is what rob's book does such an amazing job to do doing uh explaining which is the purge which was the the political litmus test to see what officers officers specifically right the oath that we take to that constitution um what officers would violate that oath and break the law and take away the most precious thing the constitution gives the american people which is consent right what 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 officers would do that and when you when you hear from brad one of only two commanders at the lieutenant colonel level in the entire u.s army active duty force how many of them stood for that constitution and freedom so they need our
0: prayers and brad would you like to share any perspective on how we can best support you and the other service members
3: yeah two things that i would say that um that i would just ask the viewers to recognize so one you know, tommy just used a, a scary word but i think we have to to take him at his word and that was purge so was the military specifically targeting people that have inconvenient beliefs. Could that be faith in God? Could that be a strong adherence to the Constitution? Could that be um, loyalty to the country? I mean, could that be critical thought, unwillingness to go along with unlawful orders, even under extreme duress? I mean, what exactly, what, what were the type of people that they realized had to be outside of the military? So that's one. The second thing that I would say is, we have to get more people to realize that when it came to this mandate, this mandate was not about the greater good versus the law. No, no. This was something that they could only do illegally because it made no sense morally. It made no sense scientifically. And, and many of us knew that they had to use a bait and switch. And we need people to realize that, you know, in the, in the military, are you expected to follow orders? Yes, you are. Can you not follow an order just because you disagree with it? No, you can't. Can you not follow an order just because you think it's dumb? No, you can't. So generally speaking, you are expected to follow orders, even if it puts your own life at risk. That's part of being in the military. However, there is one significant caveat to that. When we are talking about orders that are unconstitutional or orders that are unlawful, not only should you disobey those, you are actually Required, you are obligated to disobey those, and even the military, it used to teach people that in its own in its own doctrinal manuals on uh, on leadership that you are obligated to disobey an unlawful order. So we need more people to realize the truth about what has happened. And then I'm going I'm to make this really fast because there's one more thing: understand that the uh, the repeal of the mandate was a victory, but it's not as extreme a victory as many people think. There are people whose careers. And their lives and their families' lives were totally upended and that has not been corrected just because the uh the mandate was repealed those people that were that were kicked out of the uh, the service or left the service or whatever they're still out you know i mean th- there has not been some some blanket reinstatement that um that has been pushed so many people's lives and careers were upended many people who are still serving they may still have the uniform on but their files are are certainly marked as a troublemaker. And there are still shadow policies in place to make sure that those people probably do not um, advance in their careers.
0: Right, and as we talked about the high rates of suicide, obviously the injury, we're seeing that from the DMED data in terms of you know, myocarditis, pericarditis, all the other adverse events. And it's not being recognized by the VA as a disability. So we have an action alert we've been pushing out since spring of last year, I don't know if we can show that now, This is still valid. We want the VA to be able to recognize the injuries from the COVID-19 vaccine and to be able to provide uh, the benefits that, you know, our military members deserve. Um, So if you go to our website and just go to the upper left-hand corner, Um, Our kind of three line menu, you can just click on action alerts and you'll be able to find this in the list of all the action alerts we put out there. But I would recommend to all of our viewers to do this. Our representatives in Congress need to know that we demand that the military members are taken care of. I mean, they have been uh, punished. They've been abused mentally, physically hurt and harmed. Um, So we would ask all of you to take action that way uh, as well. Um, I'd like to turn it over one last time to to Rob and each of our members for any parting words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to leave with our viewers. We are all in this battle together, looking for justice, looking for accountability for those who are causing harm. Uh, And we are so thankful for the service that you have provided for our country, the sacrifices that you and many of your fellow military members um, have given to us. It's not lost on us by any means. This is all what we do here at CHD. So I'd like to start with you, Rob. For any parting words for our audience today.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I would just offer this: that uh, there is hope. Um, it might seem dark right now, but uh, with with faith, uh, standing for the truth, uh, we're going to to bring our nation back. Uh, so there is great hope,
3: and do not forget the do not forget the hope.
0: Great, Brad
3: yeah i agree uh, things are really bad we need to be aware of uh, just how bad they are and what this could potentially pretend for the future but i'm still very optimistic there's plenty of reason to be hopeful so uh, my last thoughts stand with god stand with the flag
2: and fight in hope
0: wonderful and final words from you tommy
2: sure yeah i'm just going to go to uh, matthew 10:28. be not afraid of them that kill the body but not the soul Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. This is a fight for the soul of the United States military and thereby the United States as a whole. And for the kind of reconciliation that needs to happen to heal the wounded soul of our military, there has to first be recognition uh, of the bad things that have happened. And this book provides that very first step. So my advice is, if you care about the country, you get a copy of this book for every single member you know who's in the military, every elected official uh, that you put in office, and you, you tell them it's required reading. We can't heal the soul of our military until we reconcile uh, what's been done to it. And this is, I think, the very first step, and I, and I just want to commend Rob for having the courage to write it
0: absolutely thank you so much uh, for joining us today and thank you rob for authoring this book um, pouring your heart and soul into it having the courage and the bravery to name names to put it all out there to write this phenomenal book so again this will be available on july 4th um, you can buy this at independent bookstores um, you can go to our website childrenshealthdefense.org forward slash bookstore we'll have this linked in the show notes you'll be able to see all available retailers that are selling it and just as uh, Tommy uh, recommended, get this for anyone you know who is a service member, anyone at all who is concerned about you know, our nation and our future uh, and all generations to come um, and concerned about freedom in general. So thank you so much, uh, gentlemen, for joining us today. We really honor you. We are so thankful for the sacrifice that you all make for putting your lives on the line to uphold our fundamental rights and to protect our country, to protect all of us, not just medical freedom, but all freedom. So big thanks from all of us at CHD, and thank you for joining us today.